Well, it truly is uh, great to be with you, and uh, thank you to those who have uh, ventured out for the past couple of weeks. We've had our volunteers and our leaders with us, and uh, just kind of working through some of the systems. And so if this is your first time uh, being with us in person, thank you uh, for making your way out and uh, trusting us in this, uh, in this uh, crazy season that we are, uh, we are in. And it uh, makes me think of um, th- this phrase here, especially as we start to open up, and even along the lines of some of the things that we you know, are longing for the way it used to be, right? There's that sense we have within us. Uh, this idea of um, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. How many of you have found that true in your life as you have become more aged? <laughs> Anybody you feel like, ah, I'm a little more set in my ways, a little more, you know, unable to, uh, to be transformed. Um, there was a celebrated metal worker up in northeast Minnesota, and he was uh, known for his excellent work. And when people would ask him about, you know, teaching other people, this was a response that he would give. He, he often remarked that he would rather teach welding to a drunk that he found in a bar who had never held a welding torch in his hand than to hire a welder with previous training and experience. A man who had never been taught to weld was still teachable, but a man who had already knew how to weld, knew how to weld was not teachable. And I think how true that is uh, in our lives where, um, I don't know if you've ever been in this dangerous position before, where you know just enough to get yourself into trouble. Ever done that before? So right now in our world today, we have something called YouTube um, and Google, right, that, you know, help. YouTube, I'm stuck. I took apart my dishwasher and I don't know how to put, the, put it back together. Anybody ever done that before? Take apart your dishwasher know how to, or your uh, washing machine or your car, right? Uh, the car, that's what happened to me and then somebody rescued it. Uh, garage squad rescued that thing, brought it back together because I knew just enough to get myself into trouble in over my head. Uh, so you think you have it and then you don't and it's a problem when you, when you think you've got it and then you don't. Um, It's really a problem if it's something that's dangerous or extreme, let's say uh, like mountain climbing. You think you know what you're doing, and then you don't. That could be a real big problem uh, for you in that moment. Uh, It's potentially a problem when it comes to marriage. I've got this. I've got her all figured out. How many husbands have tried to say that before, right? Online, raise your hand, right? (laughs) Tried to say that, and then something happened. You realize, I don't have a clue. How many of you don't have a clue in marriage? You've been married for like 30 years plus, right? I don't have a clue still to this day. Um, When it comes to parenting, you think you have it all figured out, and then you have another kid. Because parents, you know every child is different. Every single, you can figure it out with one of your kids, and then the the next one is totally different. So we had two, two girls, and then we had a boy. Those are very different world, the boy and girl world, very, very different world. And um, my, my girls, I thought I had it figured out with them that they would stay relatively close. They weren't necessarily uh, super adventurous. They would, they would say, stay close, relatively speaking. And then there was Jace. And this one time we were in Sam's Club. And uh, while we were out in Sam's Club, I was there looking at tires. I can't remember what it was for, probably for the Bronco that was unfinished. <laughs> and uh, so I, I was looking for tires and Jace was with me. Remember, I thought I had it all figured out with, when it came to raising children. Jace was with me, and I'm looking at tires, and then I turn around, and Jace is not with me. 
You ever had that moment as a parent, a little bit of panic sets in, and you're wondering, where did my child go? And so I'm pretty calm, and that's just my, my normal nature. I'm, I'm relatively calm. And, and so I'm just like looking around that, you know, looking around in tires. Ah, Jace, oh, you're not there. Oh, and you're still not there. You're still not there. So I calmly walk up to one of the uh, workers at Sam's Club. This is up in uh, Minneapolis, I think it was. And, um, and he was, so Jace was probably two or three at the time, something like that, three-ish, something like that. That's great parenting, right? <laughs> and uh, so, so I, I go up to one of the workers and I said, hey, I just lost my son. <laughs> That's a very, very great moment, right, as a dad to admit that. And uh, remember, I had it all figured out. I knew just enough to get myself into trouble. And so it was amazing at Sam's Club. So shout out to Sam's Club. If you're watching right now, hashtag Sam's Club. Fantastic job way back many years ago. Uh, they had that store locked down in like 30 seconds or less. Nobody getting in and out with, with a kid. I mean, it was just amazing. And thankfully, I did remember one thing. I knew what my child looked like which is good. And I knew what he was wearing. <laughs> and so uh, they ended up finding him within, within just about, about a minute and a half or something like that. He was in the book section. It's great. He was picking up a book as a three-year-old. I wish he would do that now as an 18-year-old. But he picked up the book and he was reading through like a Batman, you know, something like that. So that was, uh, that was wonderful. I knew just enough to get myself in trouble. Um, putting in tile floor. Tried to do that in my basement here recently, finishing off our basement. And those who've seen my basement, don't look too closely at the tile floor in the bathroom, right? Uh, because I realized I knew just enough to get myself into trouble. So that's, uh, that's, it'll have to be fixed at a later time, probably by somebody else. And as, as I get older, I realize that as much as I want to remain pliable, I'm probably not nearly as pliable as I would like to think that I am. Right? I mean, and, and I hope you feel, I hope you feel that same thing as you get old. You know, as a teenager, man, I was ready for the new adventure, ready for all of that stuff. And even now, as, as a, I'm 50 years old, turned 50 just a couple of weeks ago, even now, I feel like in my heart, I'm like 20 and I'm ready for any, any adventure at all. But I realize there is this setting that's taking place. It's a slow set concrete, <laughs> right, in my life, just kind of slowly setting. And I cannot wait to the time I can be old and cantankerous. That's going to be an exciting time in my life, right? But uh, so learning things is actually more difficult. As you get older, it's just the way that it is. It becomes more difficult and it takes so much more work to remain pliable. But it makes it more rewarding when I learn something new and learn that new skill. So there was this party being thrown for Jesus. Uh, Jesus found himself at a lot of parties, by the way. If you read through the, uh, read through the New Testament, uh, you'll find out that he was, uh, he was around people and they enjoyed being together. So he was at a party. Recently, Jesus had welcomed the latest addition into his discipleship club, right? These, uh, these 12 disciples that he was gathering together. And at this point in uh, Matthew chapter 5, um, or I'm sorry, uh, Luke chapter 5, in Luke chapter 5, the last one uh, at this point was being asked to come in to be part of this discipleship club. And he was probably the least qualified of all of them, at least from the metrics that most people would use. That probably could be said of us, right? That we are the least qualified of all to follow after Jesus. We can look at all the problems we have. We can look at all the, the foibles and the failures that we have and recognize, and we think to ourselves, oh, God would never accept me. God would never want me to be on his team. This is exactly how this was for this last guy. It's easy to point to people that don't look like us, act like us, travel in the same circles as us, and say that they would be excluded from our group. 
But Jesus wasn't like that. Thankfully, Jesus reached out into the world and grabbed a hold of people that were far different than him. And he invited this guy named Levi to be part of the discipleship team. Levi was a tax collector. I know I've talked about tax collectors before. Um, And to this day, when you say the IRS, you have joy and love that just kind of wells up in your heart, doesn't it, right? (laughs) They're coming for you, (laughs) all right? And so we have that sense within us even now that the tax collectors are outcasts of society. We want nothing to do with them. And yet here was Jesus searching for those who were far away from that expected group of people that would follow after him. Levi, this tax collector, also called Matthew, he was despised by all in the culture. They were the sellouts. They were the betrayers. And yet Jesus chose him. So out of gratitude, Levi throws this party and he invites the only people that he knows. Who does Levi know? Tax collectors. That's who he knows. That's his circle of friends. Those are the people that betray one, right? Those those are all the other sinners that are out there. And he goes, all right, guys, there's this Jesus who invited me into his inner circle. You need to come see this guy. So please come to this dinner. I'm going to hold it in his honor. And all of these tax collectors show up. It's a motley crew of people, not the band. (laughs) And it causes quite a stir. The religious leaders hear about it. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious, uh, the, the lawyers, the scribes, they hear about it. They find this party happening and they begin to challenge Jesus. You're going to find in your life that religious people challenge you. Right? When you walk and live in grace, religious people are always going to challenge that grace that you're extending in your life. So the Pharisees and scribes in Luke chapter 5 verse 30, they were complaining to Jesus' disciples They weren't complaining directly to Jesus. They're complaining to disciples of Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus overhears this complaining, and he gives an answer. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus is calling the Pharisees well. They, they, the Pharisees believe that they are whole and perfect, that they have a righteousness that everybody needs to live up to. Remember last week we talked about this, uh, for those who are watching either online or in person here, uh, we talked a little bit about this, unless you exceed the righteousness of the, uh, of the Pharisees, the same kind of thing, the, the Pharisees saw themselves as well. The Pharisees on the outside had it all together and they didn't need a physician. They didn't need someone to come alongside of them and help them. So they were saying, Jesus, this isn't the way it's supposed to be done. You can't be with people like this. This group is unteachable. That's what the Pharisees were saying about this group. You don't want anything to do with them. You're spiritual. You're religious. You are, you're, you're, you know, you're one of those guys who's teaching religious things. This group of people doesn't deserve it. But Jesus sees the need of those who have nothing else. The other tax collectors, they wanted to see what Levi was talking about. Who was this guy who was accepting them? Who was this guy, Jesus, who was willing to bring them into this inner circle and spend time with them? Because I guarantee you, the Pharisees weren't having them over for dinner. The Sadducees weren't doing anything with them. The other religious leader, nobody was hanging out with the tax collectors except Jesus. 
So often Jesus is offering a contrast between the way the world looks and the way the kingdom of God looks. A lot of the parables that we've been talking about is this whole idea is that there is a contrast between the world around us and what the kingdom of God looks like. Now, the church is part of that kingdom of God, and we do our best, right, to accept everyone that God brings our way. And we go out and find people to invite them to become part of this kingdom of God and this expression as the church. So Jesus is moving the same direction again in this contrast that's happening uh, in a parable that he's going to share in just a moment. So the religious leaders continue. Remember, they're still complaining. Then they said to him, so now they're talking directly to Jesus, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, this is really funny, by the way, because the Pharisees did not like John. It's talking about John the Baptist is who this is being talking about right here. Pharisees hated John the Baptist, and yet right now, just to... uh, to uh, kind of help their argument, to give a more robust argument, they bring the disciples of John in here as if they're best buds. He goes, so John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray, but your disciples eat and drink. Why is that, Jesus? You need to be like us because we have it figured out. We're right and you're wrong. So to all of this, Jesus responds with a parable. And uh, the title of our message today is, is Of Wine and Jeans, and you're going to find out why here in just a second. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 36, and this is that parable. And remember, it's a parable of contrasts. Jesus is digging at the, the, the religious and the spiritual world that's there and the kingdom that's uh, being announced by the people of this world and those who are in the ruling class. And he's drawing a contrast to them, and this is what he says. He also told them a parable, verse 36 of Luke chapter 5, no one tears a piece from a, from a new garment and sews it on an old garment. Otherwise, the new will be torn and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins And no one after drinking old wine desires new wine, but says the old is good. So we're going to unpack this parable because I think it's super easy for us to make some assumptions about what Jesus is saying here, when in fact he might be saying something very, very different to us today. So it's easy to read in this parable some things that may not really be there. And so often in this parable, we we can point to a conflict, the old versus the new as if that's the whole heart of it. And that old versus new, especially within the church, right? There are times when people pointed to this and said, hey, there's new things coming in the church. The old things, the way that they used to be, that needs to be thrown away because the new things, that's what this is talking about. So just, if you like the old things, get over it because the new is on its way, right? That's sometimes how this has been used in the church, right? And so use this as a justification to throw out hymns, or to throw out old ways of doing things. And I'm here to tell you that's not what this is about at all, okay? It has nothing to do with that. So don't ever use this to justify any sort of uh, decisions like that. Does this apply to stylistic choices for communicating the gospel? The old ways to do it are better than the new ways, or the new ways to do it are better than the old. Is Jesus really making a value judgment against traditions that provide a foundation And that one should throw out 
the other in favor of the one that you're talking about trying to support. But I do believe there's more to it than this. So obviously there are comparisons between old and new that are going on here, but Jesus is using this to make a different point. So the context is a contrast between the Pharisees and the disciples of Jesus. That's really where this is focused on because uh, earlier in, um, in Luke, you see already some conflict between the disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees or the Pharisees themselves. So what is the contrast that Jesus is drawing? Is he drawing the contrast that his disciples are better than the, the Pharisees' disciples? Is that the point? I don't think so. Um, it's, is, is Jesus kind of um, uh, saying, hey, we need to have a game of Red Rover to find out who's better? So Red Rover, Red Rover, let Thaddeus come over and, you know, and all that stuff. They line up and find out who's better. No, I don't think that's the case either. Um, I remember as a kid growing up, I've got a picture here of Levi's 501s unshrunk jeans. Anybody remember Levi's 501 button fly unshrunk jeans? I remember the first time my mom, my mom happens to be here uh, this morning in the service and uh, my brother and his wife and I'm trying to think of anybody else because my daughter got married this past Friday and uh, very excited they're married to, uh, yeah, amen. Married to Johnny Langaning, yeah, Johnny L. We're just calling him that. His last name is way too difficult to pronounce. Uh, but we're so excited for them. And if you're watching, as I'm sure you are on your honeymoon, uh, I'm so excited that you guys are married. Uh, but I remember as a kid growing up, I remember the first time that my mom uh, bought for us uh, Levi's 501 unshrunk jeans. And if you ever bought those before, I don't even know if you can still buy the Levi's unshrunk 501 button fly jeans, but I remember you would put them up to you and they would be like, like this tall, right? And this wide. And you're going, mom, what have you done? These are not my size. And she'd say, trust me, it's going to be your size. And so then you would throw them in the wash, I think wash them hot, and then you would dry them and then you would wash them again and then dry them. And then pretty soon, like magically, you'd put them on and they fit like a glove. It was just amazing how that worked. Um, the other thing about those jeans uh, as, a, as a young man, inevitably, uh, myself and my brother, we were pretty tough on jeans. And so what would happen to those jeans over time? You'd get a hole in those jeans. And so in order to make them look right, you would go and buy a patch. And the thing you would not want to do is buy the unshrunk jeans patch and put it on to patch the already shrunk jeans. Because what would happen then is as that patch shrunk to fill that hole, it would actually destroy both the patch and the, the old pair of jeans that were now shrunken. Anybody remember the 501s or am I the only one that remembers these things? All right, okay, good. So which is better, the old pair of jeans or the new pair of jeans? Which is better? Now, got a picture of a wineskin here. And uh, back in the Old Testament and New Testament times, uh, the wineskins that would be used would actually be animal skins. And you can see some of them that still look like the animal from which they came. <laughs> It's pretty weird. There's a skin, and it's filled with wine, and it looks like a goat. Okay, it's really bizarre. And, uh, but the way that they would store the wine, and I do not have a lot of experience with wine, just to be, uh, just to be honest here. Uh, but the, what would happen is they would put the wine into the wine skin, and as the wine would ferment and age, it would expand somewhat. And so those wine skins, because they were fresh and new, those wine skins would expand to accommodate the aging of that wine. 
And so then you could pour out all of that wine and serve all of that wine. And then you could, if you wanted to, put new wine back into that old wineskin. But what would happen to that old wineskin? It, no, it was no longer pliable. There was no way for it to expand anymore. It had reached its full, uh, full potential. And that wineskin would break. And both the wineskin and the new wine would be, uh, would be now useless. So which is better? The old wineskin or a new wineskin? Which is, is Jesus drawing a contrast between those? So it's interesting to take into consideration the context and potential application for us this morning. Could it be that Jesus was not as concerned with the old and the new that we would like him to be, but he was much more concerned with the condition of the heart? Much more concerned with the condition of the heart. The Pharisees and the scribes and other religious leaders in Jesus' time, they had it all figured out. They had reached a point where they were just like that shrunken cloth. They'd reached that point where they were just like that, that, brittle, uh, that brittle old wineskin. They knew it all. They had arrived at a level of learning and understanding, and then they stopped. And they said, we've got it figured out. We know how God operates. We've got this figured out. The disciples on the Jesus on the other side, uh, these were, for the most part, the uneducated of society. In Jewish culture back then, um, it was uh, education up through about the age of 12 or 13, and then your education side was done, and now you're going to be learning a skill, so you'd be apprenticed and things like that. So the education began to be very, very, very focused, but the broad education stopped at about the age of 12 or 13. And yet they were chosen by God to be in a position of openness to the new things that God was up to. They were hungry for the unexpected. And every time Jesus moved, they're like, oh, this is good. This is something new. This is something that we are now pliable for. And God can move in our life. And we come expecting God to do something different. They're expectant of the presence of God in Jesus so that they lived accordingly. They wanted to be around him. And I think this whole picture that Jesus is painting is showing up in the way that Jesus is looking at all of these tax collectors and sinners and what Jesus sees in them is not worn down old wineskins, but what Jesus sees in them is pliable hearts and spirits saying, Jesus, we want to be around you. We want to be with you. We want to be near you. There's an innocence among the disciples not an innocence of life experience because they had lived life to the point where they were chosen, but of new spiritual expectations that Jesus, the Messiah, was bringing their way. They were open. They were hungry. The Pharisees had become old in hearts, old in mind, old in spirits. Their garments was incompatible with what Jesus was up to. Their wineskins had already been filled and they had become brittle. I'm going to invite our worship team up as we uh, close out here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, there's this, uh, this Jewish, uh, Jewish teacher, Elisha ben Avuya, and I apologize if I mispronounced that name, Elisha. Um, and this is what he says, and I thought this was pretty insightful. He who studies as a child, unto what can he be compared? He can be compared to ink written upon fresh new sheet of paper. Right, that, that's that new, that's that young, that's that heart that I think we want to have. But he who studies as an adult, unto what can he be compared? 
He can be compared to ink written on a smudged or previously used and erased sheet of paper. Right? So in our lives, what I strive for is, God, let me be that new sheet of paper that you are writing your story on my life. God, thank you for the forgiveness that you bring into my life. But here's the thing. Uh, Did the disciples carry out all this newness and freshness in their life to perfection? No, they didn't. And I think this points to the fact that we are always in that position of saying, God, help us to remain pliable. God, help us to remain in that position to receive something new from you because, God, we don't want to end up having it all figured out just enough to get ourselves into trouble. Um, So the disciples in Matthew chapter 18, if you have your Bibles or or smart devices, uh, we find out something about the disciples that's just like us. They had it figured out. This is now much, much later on. So from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 18, about three and a half years now has transpired. They've now been with Jesus. They've got it figured out. They've seen the miracles. Like, oh yeah, this is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to heal another person over here and uh, all of that stuff. And as we grow in popularity, we're becoming more and more important. And so Lord... Who's the greatest among us? God, who's going to sit on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom? Jesus, who is it that's the best among the disciples? Something of the world's view slowly crept into the disciples' hearts. Slowly crept into their own, and they were just in that point of becoming brittle and shrunken in their own life. Matthew chapter 18, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2, it says of this, Jesus called a child whom he put among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change, right, unless you change, guys, you become brittle. (laughs) Guys, you become shrunken old cloth. Unless you change and become like, a ch- like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If you've been around children, you recognize that they have a faith that can be so unshakable because they just believe. Folks, we've got to live that same way. We must live that same way. It's a position of the heart that Jesus is most concerned about. Are you available for God to move, uh, to move you, to change you, to transform you? Or have you become brittle? Have you become shrunken? Have you become less than what God has asked you to become? Have you put yourself in a position where you've got it all figured out? It's not about the new and the old. It's about the condition of the heart. So Jesus has chosen fishermen and tax collectors precisely because of their lack of formal education. And in in, uh, Acts chapter 4, there's this great moment. Sorry, I'm going to jump way ahead here. In Acts chapter 4, there's this great moment when the Pharisees, the disciples of the Pharisees, the Sadducees are now accusing the disciples of, um, of, you know, spreading the gospel of Christ. This is after Jesus is resurrected. He's returned to heaven. And now the church is being born, right? And we have this moment where they are taken before all the authorities, these disciples, these unlearned, uneducated disciples. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they, these are the 
probably some of the same Pharisees who were in that dinner time with Jesus and the tax collectors when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, two disciples of Jesus, and realized that they were uneducated, ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. In that moment, I believe that these pliable men of God, these men who had, had this, this desire to, to not be unshrunken and brittle in their lives, they showed that simplicity and the humility of Jesus Christ in their life because the condition of their heart was one of openness. The condition of the heart was one to be transformed. And this is the heart that we need to have as followers of Christ. Because Jesus changes everything. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. If you're at home uh, watching us online, if you're comfortable, stand to your feet. If not, uh, stay seated there or stay in bed or wherever you are at this point. With every head bowed, every eye closed here as we close out this morning. You've become brittle in the season. You, you feel in your life that there's just been a shrinking back in your life. Maybe you're a follower of Christ and you sense within yourself that, man, there is just, I am not as open as I should be to what God is doing. In fact, I've complained for the last 16 weeks or however long it's been. I've complained over and over, God, where are you? And God the whole time is saying, look, I'm up to something new. I'm up to something. Be pliable. Be open. Don't be, br uh, uh, don't be brittle in your life any longer. But maybe you become brittle in the season. Maybe you become shrunken in your view of who God is. You've lived as if you have all the answers and you realize you know just enough to get yourself into trouble. And you're here, to say, uh, here, here this morning or you're um, at home this morning or on the road or wherever you are and you say, Pastor, I know I need to be in a position where I am no longer shrunken, I'm no longer brittle, but I need the freshness of Jesus Christ in my life. If that's you and you're here, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand. If that's you and you are watching online, boy, you can just make, make that moment where you say, yes, that's me. If that's you, you can just lift your hand and say, I feel brittle, I feel shrunken, and I need my heart to be renewed in Jesus Christ this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lots of hands up. Jesus, we thank you. God, help us to put ourselves in that position as of that child. God, to come not having all the answers, to come to you, God, realizing that we know just enough to get ourselves in trouble when it comes to our spiritual life. And so, God, help us to rely fully upon you. And God, this parable which, which talks about the new and the old, God, but the point is all about the hearts of men and women so that we do not become brittle, so that, God, we do not become shrunken and in the process break the things that need to be new in our lives. And so, God, for these who have raised their hands or for those who are online who have acknowledged their need of you, Jesus, we welcome you into our lives. Jesus, you are the only answer that we have. You, oh God, are the only one who can change us from the inside out. God, help us to not shun those who are far away from you, God. I thank you that we have the example of Jesus reaching to the tax collectors, to the sinners. God, help us not put ourselves in a position to judge others, Lord, but God, it's our position to welcome. God, we cast nets, we sow seed, and Lord, help us, help us, oh God, to live humble lives that are not shrunken and brittle. Lord, we love you this day. God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'm going to invite you, if uh, you are here or if you are online, one of the things that we have been doing uh, for a long time now is you text the word JOURNEY to 74574. Uh, this will give you access to a series of podcasts that you can listen to to help you on your journey, uh, these first steps, maybe first month or so in your decision for Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm going to invite us to do as we close out here. I'm going to invite Stephen and the team. Are you able to, uh, to lead us in that song, Stephen, one more time? Just that last little bit uh, for us as we, uh, as we sing together. Man, God, you've been faithful. And uh, we recognize that faithfulness here. And so why don't we, uh, one more time, let's uh, worship the Lord here as we close out this morning. Thank you, Jesus. thank you. And God, we truly do sing of the goodness of God. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people as we leave from this place. God, as we uh, finish up watching online, God, I ask for your blessing upon your people. That God, we would walk in the boldness that comes only through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That God, we would live in lives that point to you. And that God, as we live those lives, help us to bring others along. Help us, God, to seek those who are far away from you to bring them into the kingdom of God, just like you brought us. Lord, we love you this day. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here with us. And uh, we will see you next week online. We will see you next week as well. God bless you.